How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, we got former University of Hawaii offensive lineman R.J. Hollis. Rich Miano has the week off. He's still traveling on the continental U.S., returning home from the University of Hawaii football team's road loss at Colorado State this past Saturday, where for the second time in three weeks, it was a heartbreaking road loss as the Rainbow Warriors fell to 1-2 and two in the Mountain West Conference with a 17-13 loss at Colorado State, a game that UH led 13-3 at halftime. They led 13-10 in the final two minutes as the UH offense just unable to get anything going after halftime. We got lots to talk about from this game, but first, let's hear from the tight end for the Rainbow Warriors, Caleb Phillips. He had the lone touchdown of the game for UH, and after the outing, clearly understood how hard that UH defense worked in defeat. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, we just came out flat second half, and, uh, you know, we were, we were making a lot of mistakes. Um, so, you know, I think that's what it comes down to is just being mentally sound, you know, across the board, every position. And so it's frustrating. You know, we couldn't really put, couldn't really put a drive together. Um, it was just kind of these mental errors and so you know we'll fix it and we'll be better next week no big shout out to the defense they played a great great game um you know they there were a ton of drives where they're you know making making stops on fourth down uh making stops in the red zone giving us the ball back so huge shout out to those guys and i just you know just want to you know put out there you know we're gonna we're gonna be better as an offense so we're gonna be able to take advantage of some of those you know situations that the defense put this in so um you know offensively it wasn't our day today and, and we got to be better but Defensively, I've been really happy with how these guys have been producing the last couple of games. So um, to see their growth and to see, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully this game offensively was just a, you know, just a bust. And, you know, we just got to keep growing and get better. Again, that was senior tight end Caleb Phillips. Three catches, 13 yards and a score. Again, we will talk at length about the rough second half that the University of Hawaii went through in the second half of that ball game in the loss to the Rams. But first things first, RJ, big picture the biggest takeaway from this loss for the University of Hawaii football team, as mentioned, a second time in three weeks that they go up on the road in conference, play their hearts out, but walk away with their hearts broken. Uh, you you kind of hit it, everything on the head, Robin. Uh, you know, usually I'm really you know outgoing and positive, but this one's got to sting. I mean, this one's got to sting a, a little bit more especially when you look at, like you said, this is the second one possession loss you've had on the road in three weeks in Mountain West play where it truly counts. You know, the first five games, you started off one and four and there was, you know, performances you weren't proud of, but it wasn't conference play. It didn't count. You are two possessions away from being four and four, but more importantly, three and oh in Mountain West play. And I think the biggest thing is just knowing that you could have won those games has to leave a little bit more of a sting in it. This is one of those, you know, coin toss games that I like to mention so much where you're within one possession going into that fourth quarter. And at the end of the day, that just kind of becomes a who wants it more. And I hate to put it like that because you kind of start to wonder, well, did Colorado State just really want this more? And you can't say that for every single player, every single coach. But at the end of the day, Colorado State did what was needed in that coin toss situation, and they left with a victory. And looking at a team that could be 3-0 and with all the doubts that they had coming into this season, with the injuries they've had to go over, and that's not even including all the offseason drama, I think this one's just a definite heartbreaker because you know the potential that's in this team, and it's just not 
getting over that last hump to have you at 3-0 in the Mountain West. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it's so similar to the San Diego State loss where the defense did everything you could have hoped for heading into the game, meaning that if on Friday we are talking about what the University of Hawaii defense would give up in a ball game against San Diego State, against Colorado State, under 17 points or less, if I, if I give that to you on Friday and say that's what's going to happen on Saturday – then that's pretty much all you can ask for. And, and, and you have to uh, assume and hope that the Rainbow Warrior offense is able to score 18 points in a ball game, but they were not unable to get the victory. And like you mentioned, this team is one and two in the Mountain West Conference. They are in fifth place of the six-team West division with that one and two mark. But just six points separates the Rainbow Warriors from being 3-0 and and in first place in that West division. So uh, before we start getting into offense and defense and, and talking about uh, some of the specifics of this ball game, as a player, how are these guys feeling right now? Are they motivated heading into a practice because, hey, it's right there. It, it's tangible. It's, uh, you can feel it. You can touch it. This team is six points away from being 3-0, and leading the West Division in the final year of divisions for the Mountain West Conference. Or is this team going to have a more difficult time of getting up for practice like they did for San Diego State, right? That San Diego State game, they came to practice. I was there. They were amped. They were ready to go because they knew how close they were. And you saw them against Nevada perform that way. Now, when you go through this a second time, is it as easy to get up for practice? Is it as easy to be reminded that you are that close from being 3-0? and RJ, kind of walk us through that, that, that uh, emotional roller coaster that these guys are going through right now. Uh, I mean, it, it's definitely a, a possibility to be excited. I think the hardest part is that there's only one win to show you. Uh, but there's still the potential to go to a bowl game. There's still a potential to end with the winning season at seven and six. Obviously, you would have to win your remaining five games. But I mean, you know, going back to San Diego State, you were 21 and a half point dogs in that game and left that with one possession. Granted, Colorado State, you were four-and-a-half-point dogs. You lost by four points, but you still technically covered the spread, so to speak. So there should be some sort of, of, of energy with players that do feel like, okay, we can go and do what we need to do. We can be close. But for most of the players, I think it is a little frustration setting in. It is a little disappointment setting in just because you can't go back and redo those possessions. You can't go back and redo those games. As great as three and zero sounds, we're one and two. As great as four and four sounds, you're two and six. And as great as winning five games in a row sounds, after losing these last two out of three this close, I think it's kind of hard to you know keep that motivation to think, hey, we could do something and we could still turn this season, which is looking like it's in turmoil into something that we could be proud of. So it's going to take a lot of extra energy. It's going to take a lot of extra juice. Those guys are going to have to believe in each other harder than they probably believed in anything or any coaching staff they played for. But the possibility is still there. So as long as they take the field with that mentality that, yeah, we let those two games slip, but there is a possibility to go out and do our thing in these next five, they might be able to surprise and shock, you know, even themselves. But that's a lot, and I mean a lot easier said than done. So, 
Absolutely. Let's talk about this University of Hawaii offense in that game against Colorado State in Fort Collins. They had 141 yards passing in the first half. Braden Shager uh, had some zip on the ball. He was making good decisions. Uh, we were talking about it at halftime on the Spectrum Sports broadcast of uh, Braden Shager making another step forward here in this progression as a sophomore in this University of Hawaii football program. And, and obviously the first year of being able to try and learn under Timmy Chang uh, as the head coach uh, in his first season. And so he goes for a buck 41 and a touchdown in the first half. They were averaging four yards per rush in the first two quarters as well. That consistent running game was showing itself against the Rams there as they led 13 to three at halftime. But then coming out of the break, this University of Hawaii football offense, just 32 yards passing in the second half. Rainbow Warriors total just 38 yards total. That means only six yards rushing as a team, as a unit, only 17 plays in the second half. Uh, Colorado State dominated uh, the time of possession after halftime, and, and that allowed the Rams to walk the Rainbows down and steal the victory despite a spirited effort by this UH defense. Uh, the Rams scored the go-ahead touchdown with a minute 28 remaining. Shager then threw an interception on the final drive to seal the deal. When you look at how this game ended up with how it started, again, Braden Shager, buck 41 passing in the first half. He finishes 18-30 for 173 yards, a touchdown and an interception. The University of Hawaii rushing offense averaged about three and a half yards per rush, where at the end of a game, when you look at it, isn't the worst thing in the world. But when you look at the whole picture of how they're playing in the first half, as opposed to what happened there in the second half, uh, what can you put your finger on as far as what happened to this UH offense in the second half? Oh, well, you know, I kind of touched on it last week when, you know, Braden Shager came out and had that absolutely monstrous first quarter against Nevada, seven of nine, 100 yards passing and a touchdown. But then for the rest of the game, only 73 yards and an interception, you know, nothing to that credit. And this week it was kind of the same thing, even better, you know, and you look at the first half, 141 yards, having a passing touchdown, you have it coming out. You got to be consistent. You got to do all four quarters. And, you know, I don't want to try and go back and get specific. The most famous one I could think of would obviously be uh, the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl a couple years ago where they go up 25 points and then they allow uh, uh, themselves to lose that game. And football, you just got to be consistent. I even remember in uh, 2014 when UH was down, I believe, 42-3 to Fresno State and almost made one of the largest comebacks in history. Uh, ending that game 42-37, UH would score 34 and answered. But you got to play all four quarters. You know, at the end of the day, you can go up 65-0 to in the first quarter. If the opposing team scores 72 points in that next three quarters, hate to break it to you, you lost the game. You had a great performance, but you lost the game. And I think at the end of the day, that's what has to become an ideology for this offense. You know, I think they get so focused on, okay, we need to come out faster. We need to come out stronger. We need to come out doing all these things. And it's like, yeah, that's great to come out and do it, but you also have to continue to do it through the back three quarters. So I think for this offense, they have to figure out a way to get a consistent attack that gets them through all three quarters. For Braden Shager, he has to figure out a way to hone in on these second halves and be able to get better continuous second halves because, like we said earlier, these are one possession games. You are one 
offensive possession away. Well, now two offensive possessions away from being three and oh. So that needs to be the importance in the mindset of this offense. Every single possession matters, whether we're up by 10, down by 10, or somewhere in between. Every time we touch the ball offensively, we have to do our absolute best to try and get points out of it at all points of the game for all four quarters. And I think one thing that we've seen from this University of Hawaii offense here over the last few weeks, and because, you know, it's almost two seasons, right? It's that that first part of the the schedule where they were getting blown out each and every game, playing right. teams that were just way ahead of the University of Hawaii in every category. I mean, you can look at that roster, you can look at familiarity, you can look at, at how comfortable they are in, in their systems. I mean, they, they were on the short end of the stick in every conversation heading into ball games, and, uh, 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 and the result pretty much uh, played that out. This University of Hawaii offense, although playing better as of late, I think the one thing that we haven't seen yet is them overcome adversity, right? It's, it's they're moving the ball when there's a rhythm, there's a feel. And, and you know, uh, when, when Braden Shager is completing multiple passes in a row and that's all of their touchdown drives kind of have that, that same feel with the exception of one Zion Bowen's deep touchdown against Nevada, which opened a, a drive, if I remember correctly. Uh, but outside of that, it, it's kind of dinking and dunking your way and, and, and building this momentum, building this momentum and finally getting into the end zone or kicking a field goal, getting points on the board. Let's look at this third quarter and how it started for the University of Hawaii. After Colorado State gets the ball first, uh, they're down 13-3. They're able to put a touchdown on the board in his 13-10 University of Hawaii. UH gets the ball with 9.23 remaining in the third quarter. And on the first play of that drive, Shager hits Jalen Walthall for 17 yards, right? It, it's good, moving the chains. But then... A penalty flag comes out, ineligible downfield pass. Austin Hop moves past the line of scrimmage before uh, Jalen Walthall brings that one in. So they back him up, beep, 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 right? Then the very next play, Braden Shager incomplete to Walthall uh, and a pass broken up by Brandon Guzman. The next play after that, Dedrick Parsons, seven-yard rush, right? And so that's, that's another positive play, a seven-yard rush. You take that any time, but not when you had to have the drive start uh, five yards back, right? And, and then you have a third and eight where an incomplete pass uh, to Dior Scott and the University of Hawaii punts. And that seemed to be the feel of the second half where it was one step forward, two steps back. And a lot of it had to do with penalties because on the second possession of the uh, of the, the third quarter, Diedrich Parson uh, gets tackled for a loss, but also you have uh, a, a Colorado State holding penalty so it's like okay well then you get a second chance at life um but then there's a fumbled snap right and that that kind of served as the penalty in the previous one where you have these plays that they cannot overcome and so when you look at this offense's inability to overcome these speed bumps along the way do you view it kind of just as all feel right maybe that's why he's playing so well in the first half uh talking about Braden Shager is because a lot of the plays are scripted, right? You imagine uh, to start the game. This, these are things that he's really comfortable with and he knows what's happening. And then when things get thrown out of the rhythm and thrown out of the feel of things and, and you have to start maybe doing things that you're not comfortable with, it, it, it does not produce positive revol results for the Rainbow Warriors. Um, how do they overcome this, RJ? Uh, it, it's just going to be, and that's actually a really great question, uh, Rob. It, it's going to be, 
it has to be a, a group effort to combat this issue of not being able to perform in the second half. That's truly what it has to be. I mean, right now you're looking at an offense that even though the passing game is starting to get, you know, its feet a little bit, the running game is still very much the strength. 16 total touchdowns for this offense. 10 of them belong to Dedrick Parson. So we know that the strength is running. But the running game, even though it's the strength, is the easiest to stop. And once you trail, it's almost out of the window. Like you would not even think that you would run to run the ball. So, you know, a lot of times this is going to come down to Braden Shager being able to go out there, see what he sees, feel what he feels, and help his coaches with the play calling. Last week when we were talking about the Nevada game, you guys brought up a, a situation, you know, one of my favorite games to talk about, 2016 Nevada, where I came off the field. And I told Chris Naole what we need to do. He, in turn, tells Rolo, who tells Schmitty, and everybody's in agreement because I also told my offensive line. So there has to be an understanding when you take the field of what needs to be done and what's working. The coaches can only see so much, only know so much. The players know better than anybody else what's going to work, what can we get, what can hit, who's a sugar cookie at cornerback, who's the soft spot at the D lineman that could just get moved with one guy. Those are the things that this offense has to be more – you know, in rhythm with, especially underneath center. So I think it's just got to be more of a conglomerate thinking of what can we do? What do we do well? And how can we use it to our benefit to help us win games, which is the ultimate goal? Yes, you want a lot of yards, whether it's running or passing. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is how do we win? And right now, what's being shown to us is that consistency of scoring would be one of the biggest benefits to this University of Hawaii offense. So whatever has to be done from the offensive line, Braden Shager to the coaching staff, that has to be figured out, but they all have to figure it out together. And these players have to hit the field, knowing what the goal is and knowing how to get that goal done through all four quarters. More growing pains for sophomore quarterback Braden Shager here in a loss to Colorado State. 17-13 was the final. He did spread the ball around seven different pass catchers brought in possessions here for the Rainbow Warriors in that game. Uh, Diedrich Parson, though, was the leading receiver. That's your running back. Six catches, 29 yards, and a long of seven yards. So when your leading receiver is your running back, and obviously it's on the check down variety, um, that is not a, a positive sign when you're trying to move the ball vertically. And we've heard head coach Timmy Chang talk about that at length over the last few weeks. Of ver the vertical passing game will lead this offense and when you have your your deepest uh, or your your best deep threat in Zion Bowens only get two catches for 38 yards, uh, Dior Scott two catches for 38 yards, uh, a couple of drops, and obviously that was uh, one of the things in this ball game too that that stalled some drives for the University of Hawaii is inopportune drops. Uh, for the Rainbow Warriors, uh, Grayson Morgan, one catch for five yards before going out. Caleb Phillips, three catches, 13 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and uh, Tamatoa Mokiao Atimalala, three catches for 32 yards. Uh, Kuali Nishigaya, who uh, we saw over the last couple of weeks, did not play in this game. Um, you have to believe that there's a little bit of a pitch count on Kuali, who's returning from a leg injury. Uh, they're they're being very careful with him because he's a very important piece to the puzzle here, especially as Timmy Chang tries to implement the run and shoot. Uh, he is very valuable at that slot back position. I wouldn't be surprised 
if uh, by the end of the season, Kuali Nishigaya plays in four games and you're able to keep that year of eligibility for him so that you could have him uh, for a lengthier amount of time here in this program, especially with um, lost production because of his injuries and really uh, playing in Todd Graham's system a couple of years, uh, which did not really allow him to showcase the the best of his abilities and the best of his skill sets, but we'll monitor that as the season here goes on. Now, again, it was a loss for the Rainbow Warriors. They're one and two in the Mountain West Conference, but let's talk about this defense who, like we talked about in the beginning of the show, did everything they possibly could to help give this University of Hawaii football team a victory. You heard Caleb Phillips talk about it from the offensive side of saying like, hey, these guys balled out. We weren't able to do our job, and but we're going to get better from it. Logan Taylor was the leading tackler, 16 tackles with a tackle for loss and a quarterback hurry against the Rams. And again, we talked about Taylor last week. He fills in for Isaiah Tufanga, who goes down with a leg injury. And Taylor, I mean, this guy plays with his hair on fire, and he's got a buzz cut, so that means his scalp's on fire. And he plays like it because he's feeling that that intensity. Peter Manoma, 10 tackles and a pass breakup. Malik Hausman, couple of key open field tackles for the University of Hawaii. He had eight tackles in the game. Hugh Nelson, six tackles. One guy that's not going to explode off of the stat sheet, but boy, was he productive. Four tackles and a tackle for loss for Blessman Ta'ala at that defensive tackle position. Uh, RJ, when you look at this UH defense, that's now three straight weeks of solid performances, three straight weeks of real insane improvement um, from this football team that's playing through injuries, that's playing through roster departures, yet they're continued to progress each and every week. What, what impressed you most about this defense? Um, from this game, I think it definitely had to be that first red zone stop where Colorado state was, I mean, essentially knocking on the door and, you know, they got them off the field. But I think, like you said, Rob, just fighting through the adversity. You know, we just talked about the the offense being able to deal with adversity. This defense lost a lot, and I mean a lot of talent last year. They were very thin, you know, in a lot of positions, and a lot of guys just had to step up and play their part. But so far, so good from the defensive end. And, you know, you're looking at the stats, it may show a different kind of outlook of that but one thing to realize is that Colorado State possessed the ball for 11 minutes longer than UH's offense did so that's 11 more minutes you're on the field than the other defense when you're already depleted missing Isaiah Tufunga Logan Taylor has to step up and boy did he step up but you made them earn everything that they had to get and ever since the New Mexico game going into San Diego State uh, this defense has just been almost night and day from, you know, the first five games. And I think it's really the mentality that they have, the way that they're all just banding together. And like you said, for Logan Taylor, I think a lot of guys are playing with their hair on fire. And, you know, some guys like Panay Pavihi, you know, they have longer hair. So there's more <laughs> fire for them to burn. But at the same time, this defense has just stepped up and been the strength that this team has needed because make no mistake about it, if those two offensive possessions go to the right of UH, UH is 3-0, everybody would know you still have to give a majority of the credit to the defense because of the way that they have been playing. So you got to give your hats off to this defense that's depleted, that has to put in a lot of young guys, a lot of young talent, but they're making it work. They're putting the team in positions to be one or 
you know, one possession or less in that fourth quarter. And if your defense gets you to that position or you're in that position within the fourth quarter, hey, they did their part. Now the offense just needs to, you know, maybe put some gasoline on their hair and set it on fire in the second half. And then you might start looking at, you know, more complete games. But what Jacob Euro, what Chris Brown, Abel Amemian and company have done for this defensive group with it having so much depleted talent, with them losing so much talent last year, uh, it's just been tremendous, especially in these last three games. Yeah, and when you look at this UH defense, third down conversions, Colorado State goes three of 12. They went for it on fourth down six times. They they were only able to convert three times. And like you mentioned, I mean, a couple of those happened in the red zone uh, where the defense was able to make stops and get the ball back to the offense with zero points to show for it uh, by Colorado State. Huge efforts there. And, and I, I was talking to assistant coach linebackers coach Chris Brown a couple of weeks ago about third down conversion. And he said, Hey, that stat at the end of a game, if you're winning third down conversion, you more times than not will win the football game because that tells you that there's only one way to play third down in a third down X's and O's are important, but it's more so mentality. You need to take that third down conversion away from the offense. And, and that is what, you saw out of the Rainbow Warrior defense. Uh, one thing I want to ask you is, it's interesting because we heard from Caleb Phillips almost in a way, I mean, not to put words in his mouth, but almost apologizing to the defense, right? And from what we heard from that soundbite of of just saying they played so hard and hopefully the offense can, can uh, take advantage of those situations better moving forward. Have you ever been in, in that situation? I'm trying to think back to your time at the University of Hawaii. Um, and, and I... I know there are a couple of efforts. Uh, I want to say New Mexico was a game where the defense played phenomenally, but the offense wasn't able to piggyback on it and ended up getting a, a loss. Uh, uh, you know, it, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but do you remember a situation like that where it's, I mean, you almost have to walk up to the, the other uh, unit on, on that football team and just shake their hand and say, man, I'm sorry, but we'll pick you up next time. Um, I mean, there wasn't as many in 2016 because that offense could score a lot. And if we weren't close, we just weren't close. The first situation, I and I know there's probably one if I can do it, but one that I can really think about, and it's going to sound odd to use this team, to use this game, because you're going to be like, RJ, what is, what is, what is you on? Um, 2015 Ohio State. Now that that's going to sound weird to say, okay, the number one team in the country, RJ, are you, are you tripping? But in the third quarter of that game, we were down 14 to zero. They kicked the field goal to make it 17 to zero, almost going in to the fourth quarter. That was only two touchdowns that our offense started that game with an explosive pass to Dylan Colley. And then I don't think we got another first down for like the next quarter and a half. So not to say that would have put us in a position to beat Ohio State, obviously, but that is the one I remember most, that our offense was stuck in absolute cement up to our knees. Like, we could not move the ball at all to save our lives for any reason. And that defense, Kennedy Tulimasealii, Naquan Phillips, uh, Nick Nelson, I mean, good God. You go back and watch the tape if you don't believe me. That defense in that game with those retro all-whites, they played their hearts out. And, you know, I know a lot of people, like I said, will be like, of all games for you to pick, 
why pick Ohio State? I could think of a few games, but offensively, we put up a lot of points in 2016 unless we just got blew out and didn't score at all. Maybe the Boise State game was one our offense couldn't get anything done, but our defense also gave up 55, so that's kind of harder to put that correlation together. But I think in what you're talking about, and if our offense could have did anything, even if we could have done enough to lose by one possession to Ohio State, that speaks a lot better than the blowout that it was but that was really more of a one-sided blowout because that defense, that was probably one of the best defensive performances I had seen that year. Our offense could do absolutely nothing, but yes, I have been in that situation where the offense can't get it done. The first thing you want to do is walk up to your defenders and apologize and shake their hand and give them credit for doing what they did. And I think that's what Caleb Phillips did in you know, his post-game speech. He just kind of publicly let everybody know, hey, don't put this on the defense. The offense has to take this one on the chin, and I will be the first to say we needed to do so. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up 2015. That's a season a lot of people remember as the season that Norm Child got fired in. Uh, The University of Hawaii goes 3-10 and that year, but what a lot of people forget is that you you guys opened the season with a win over Colorado uh, to start that season. Yes. You mentioned being down just 14-0 in the third quarter to Ohio State. Two weeks after that, you guys were down 14-0 to Wisconsin on the road as well. Offense couldn't uh, move that game in the, in the third quarter. So, I mean, you, the Ohio State and Wisconsin, two weeks apart, trailing 14-0 in the third quarter. I think anybody would take that. And then I, I remember also uh, a one-point loss against New Mexico. That was the game that I was talking about earlier, 28-27 lost a, a close game to Nevada and before the 58-7 loss to Air Force, uh, which the next day Norm Chow was fired. So, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show. I mean, it's a game of inches. It's a game of scenarios and, and how uh, drastically things, uh, the, the result can change just based on uh, these little things within a football game. And that's what the University of Hawaii football team is going through right now. As we mentioned, one and two in the Mountain West Conference, but just six points away from potentially being 3-0. Well, the Rainbow Warriors will return to action this Saturday, facing off against Wyoming at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Uh, The Cowboys are 10-point favorites in that game. So the Rainbow Warriors, again, for... For uh, every, in every game except the Duquesne outing, uh, which was an FCS opponent, uh, FCS opponent, the Rainbow Warriors will enter a game as the underdog, and we'll see how they can uh, manage that situation going up against a tough Cowboys team on Saturday. All right, let's crack open the Bose football final mailbox. As always, you can hit me up on Instagram at Rob Demello, on Twitter at Rob Demello K H O N, and at Facebook Rob Demello or email rdemello at khon 2com And the first question comes from Chester asking, would you have run the ball as much as UH did in the second half if you were calling the plays, or would you have liked to see them open it up in the third quarter? Uh, so, RJ, uh, your thoughts on how the game was managed in the second half? As we talked about, I mean, they only had 17 plays in the second half of this football game. And and when you look at uh, the the way that it ended, uh, they threw the ball, obviously, because they were trying to, to catch up um, and, and trying to win this football game in that final drive before Braden Shager threw an interception. But, I mean, like, like I talked about, uh, when, when they opened the third quarter, uh, they only ran the ball once in that first drive, right? And it was a seven-yard gain um, 
by Diedrich Parson. When you look at the second possession, which was only two possessions in the third quarter, it went uh, Diedrich Parson rush, uh, Diedrich Parson three runs, uh, but that was following a, a false start penalty, which pushed them back. And so, you know, I, I personally didn't view it as they were playing conservatively. It was they just weren't moving the chains. And so they didn't have very many plays. Uh, but RJ, uh, how did you view it? Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you, Robin. You know, one thing you've mentioned in these few drives that they had in the second half, you mentioned three penalties. UH only had four penalties for 26 yards the entire game. So I don't think in their offensive play call and they were expecting that. But this is football 101, a 10 point lead with a strong running game. I don't think any coach of any level would go against running the football. And you have a depleted defense that's already going to have 11 more minutes of time on the field than the other defense. I think if you get to third situations or you have second and longs where, you know, we need to get more chunks of yards than a run might afford us, maybe pass it, dink and dunk then. But, I mean, you're up by 10. You have a strong running game. Not only do you have a strong running game with good offensive linemen, you have multiple running backs you can employ. So if Dedrick Parson does get tired of running the ball or does start to show a little fatigue, hey, Tylen Hines, you're right in. If he goes down, then, hey, Najee uh, Bryant Lilly, you're in. If he's down, Jordan Johnson, you're in. But I, I wouldn't have said that I would have changed the play calling because that, like I said, is football 101. You're sitting on a 10-point lead. You want to run the ball because not only is that, you know, slower possession or longer possession offensively, you run the clock giving Colorado State less time to try and come back, which is what they were able to do. So I think the play calling was just uh, what it should have been. The execution needed to be a little bit better. And, you know, the penalties, even though they weren't necessarily the most major of penalties, the timing couldn't have come in the worst time. So I think the execution just had to be better. But you got a 10-point lead in the second half. I would never go against running the ball. Yeah, 15 carries for 71 yards for Diedrich Parson. That's an average of five yards per carry for the game. Tylen Hines, two carries for 21 yards. That's an average of 11 yards per carry. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it came down to one of those situations of just not having enough snaps. I mean, the University of Hawaii football team was running the football effectively. It just came down to penalties, drops, incompletions, and just not being able to move the chains. That really was the bugaboo for this Rainbow Warrior offense in the second half. All right, West Side Rock has this question. There's been lots of shuffling of receivers lately. Who are the four that gives UH the best opportunity to win, in your opinion? And so it should be noted that a lot of the shuffling has to do with injuries. Uh, Jonah Pinoke, you know, missing a handful of games. Zion Bowen's missing a handful of games. You had uh, Nick Senecal miss games early and then being thrown in there. Uh, Kuali Nishigaya miss games. And so I think uh, the shuffling has a lot to do with that. Um, but for this exercise, uh, RJ Hollis, if if all things are equal, let's take out the players who are injured right now. And that's Jonah Pinoke. Uh, Who are the four that you'd like to see the University of Hawaii ride with? Uh, and especially as the run and shoot grows, because... Let's face it, as Rich Miano pointed out last week, that you know this is still less than 50% run and shoot, which you would expect because they only started working on it about four and a half weeks ago. Um, but in the true run and shoot, it's four wide. And so let's just say if you're running the run and shoot full time, who are the four you go running with, RJ? 
Uh, so, you know, I actually love to get so prepared that I was thinking of the same thing. You know, there's injuries and then there's not injuries. So my without injuries lineup would be uh, Zion Bowens, Jonah Pinoke, Jalen Walthall, and uh, Caleb Phillips. Now, even though Caleb Phillips is a tight end, I do think with his, you know, reliability, with his maturity, I think that's a guy that can, if you get, you know, enough route concepts for him with that big body he has, obviously they wouldn't be the deep vertical routes that, you know, a lot of these other receivers would have. I think he would be a good fourth. If not, then Kowali Nishigaya. But then so you got Phillips, you got Phillips running in the slot, like a big slot. Yeah, like a big slot, like a big slot. If not nice. him, Kowali, but uh Kowali obviously still battling injuries. They're trying to make sure he's healthy. Uh, but currently, too, I would also have to go. This is now no injury, so Pinoke can't play. It would be Bowens, Walthall, Phillips, and then I would either have Dior Scott, Kowali Nishigaya, or Tamatoa Mokial Atimalala kind of competing for that fourth wide receiver spot or that slot spot because as of right now, we just haven't seen enough from those last three guys for me to pick one, but it would definitely be, you know, one of those three guys um, with health kind of being a consideration with what they know also being a consideration. But, you know, uh, that would probably be my four, uh, Bowens, Walthall, Phillips, and then probably Nishigaya. I would go Nishigaya just because I've seen him play. I know what he can do. And then if we're talking run and shoot, as the way he would know it coming out of St. Louis, as the way it would be called in the Rolo days, I think Kowali would probably be that best fourth and honestly would probably make his way up to the second or, you know, third wide receiver with enough time given. Well, I, you know, I was going to say, I'm surprised. I mean, last year you're just banging on the table saying, put Kowali in the ball game. What are you doing? This is an explosive player. And then you have a chance to pick out your receivers. And he was the last guy you mentioned. Come on, RJ. You're the president of the Kowali Nishigaya fan club. Why did it take hey, you no, so long? Hey, no, man, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> doing it in order. Because make me think about it. Even if you're the fourth wide receiver, ask the 2018 Hawaii Warriors. The fourth guy can still get 1,000 yards. You don't believe me? Ask Jason Matthew Sharks because yep. – uh, he was a thousand yard receiver and not necessarily the number one receiver. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm with you. I mean, for me personally, uh, you have a lot of interchangeable guys, you know, guys that, that can uh, offer a lot to this university of Hawaii football team, but the two most important players uh, in that room for UH and their vertical passing game is Kuali Nishigaya and Zion Bowens, in my opinion, because Zion stretches the field and Kuali will make you pay because you have to worry about them stretching the field. I mean, those are the guys that that I, I think when they're at their best and this exactly. offense is at the, their best, I mean, those two guys are going to be racking up the yards. They're going to be the ones making defenses suffer. So hopefully we see a lot more opportunities where those two guys are on the field at the same time. All right, last question here comes from AMG. And uh, uh, sorry, I don't know if it's a he or she, but – uh, the question is, I know what it feels like for a fan, but as a player, do those cl close losses hurt worse than a blowout? As a fan, I still feel good when they lose close, but blowouts make it feel like there's no hope for the next week. And so, uh, RJ, uh, this, the sense uh, a plane ride back, is it is it more difficult to get comfortable in that seat and, and get some shut eye be after a blowout loss? Or is it more difficult after one of these Colorado State slash San Diego State heartbreakers? 
Um, I think this is also going to be personal, just based on certain people. But for me, the close losses were always uh, worse. You know, when you go into any sort of competition, a lot of times you can tell if you're going to get blown out. There's, you know, there's really not too many secrets. You never really get caught off guard with a blowout. You kind of just knew coming in that this team was going to be better. I think what makes it so difficult with a close loss is you leave not really knowing. You leave not knowing, okay, were they truly better than us or were they just better for that 60 minutes? So for me, the close losses always sting. In fact, um, New Mexico, 2016, I believe we lost by three points. Uh, Drew Brown fumbled the ball on a scramble. They picked it up, took it back to the other way for the end zone. And I just remember, even though that game didn't count for nothing, it didn't put us out of bowl contention, we weren't going to win our division. Like, nothing was important to that game. I remember how much that stung just because of the feeling of we could have won it. But I think it's personal. I think some people, you know, they hate getting blown out. So for them, that would be more difficult. But to me, a game that could have been won, I think that leaves the worst taste in my mouth. And that's the taste of could have, should have, would have, you know. And I think in the eyes of regret and looking back at your season, those are going to be the games that give you the heaviest regret. Not the ones where you got smoked 49 to zero, because even if you go back and play that game perfectly, then it's probably 49 to 21. But when you talk about the games that are 17-14, the 17-10s, and you go back and look at those games, any mistake you can find, that mistake's going to matter. Any penalty you find, that penalty's going to matter. Any drop pass, any offsides, any false start, any missed assignment you may have had as a right tackle, all of that's going to matter when the game is a lot closer for it. So for me, the, the nail biters, the close games, those are always the hardest pill to swallow because I feel like if you play that game twice, we win, but this is football. So you can't play it twice. You just lost. Yeah. Well, the university of Hawaii football team uh, will have to get over it one way or another, uh, no matter how they're feeling right now, uh, because they have a very good Wyoming team who enters five and three overall three and one in the mountain West conference. They're going to take them on Saturday, 6 PM at the Clarence TC Ching athletics complex. And it is a game that you mentioned it, RJ, uh, the University of Hawaii has no room for error, backs against the wall, currently at two and six. By a traditional standpoint, UH cannot lose any more games and automatically qualify for a bowl game here this season. Uh, a seven and six record guarantees you a spot in a bowl game. If they go six and seven, we've seen it before, like 2016, right. uh, where you can backdoor your way into a bowl game based on how many games there are, how many teams that go six and six, or how many teams don't go six and six, um, more importantly for the University of Hawaii. But as far as controlling your own destiny, UH needs to go five and oh moving forward. There's also a weird scenario where when you look at the West Division, I mean, obviously, this is way getting ahead of ourselves, uh, but let's just say, um, you know, UH wins four of five and, and they end up going five and three in conference. And let's say San Jose and San Diego get some losses and Fresno and they're all beating each other. And, and somehow, some way, five and three wins the division. There's an opportunity. There's a there's a legit possibility that UH could win the West Division 
but finish six and seven and not go to a bowl game, but they play in the conference title game, which is, I mean, just <laughs> why not? Why not? Yeah, just out of just like chaos, I just kind of want to see that in a way, right? But <laughs> why not? Why but, not? But but bigger picture, like like we said, I mean, UH has their backs against the wall, and and so they're taking on this Wyoming team. And so the last thing I want to ask you is, uh, this game is the battle for the Paniolo Trophy. From a realistic standpoint, I'm sure some of the Rainbow Warriors are looking at the schedule. They're looking at the standings, and and, and they are coming to the reality that you know a miracle needs to happen for there to be a postseason. So does the battle for the Paniolo trophy mean that much more at all? Like even 1% knowing that, Hey, this is a game that when the game is over, one of these two teams is holding a trophy above their head. They're jumping around, they're celebrating. They have a trophy that goes into the trophy case of the lobby that you get to walk by every day and look at and be like, yeah, I won that. I was on the team that, that brought that back home. Does that mean more, especially in a season like this, RJ? Excuse um, I'd say a billion percent, Rob, especially when we talk about the last three weeks, how close those games have been, what they could have meant for your Mountain West contention and being three and oh. Um, and also, I think more importantly for the morale of the brotherhood in this in my group. So many accomplishments, so to speak, there's a lot of uh, into rivalry trophies within the Mountain West with a lot of teams you know, that kind of have their back and forth and you get to put it in a trophy case. Granted, it's a regular season game, but it is a rivalry that has been established with the trophy. It's something that the players get to experience and, you know, they get to run over and grab it. Or if they have it, they get to keep it. And I'm not sure who has that trophy right now. UH has it. UH They ended their regular season with a win in Laramie last year. Yeah, no, so that's, you know, you get to bring a trophy out and you get to take that trophy back in. It's an accomplishment. So I think it's huge. I think it's going to be, you know, massive in morale if they can get a victory because, like I said, it's their first little accomplishment. And I think, you know, conversely, if they lose the game, you know, morale might be, oof, morale might be waiting at the Greyhound ready to catch the next bus out of town because, you know, at that point, now you put yourself out of the automatic play bid you, you push yourself out of any miracle chances of getting to a Mountain West conference. And then more than that, you guarantee yourself a losing season. So I think that this game is huge. I think every game, you know, of these next five should all be taken with this same idea that they are huge and they are big. But I think really after these two very close losses in these last three weeks, knowing that there's potential there that just hasn't been executed, I think for morale, I think from a season standpoint, a coaching standpoint, brotherhood standpoint, almost every standpoint or aspect there is, this game is almost, you know, it's almost a must win. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say that must win. You know, if you're talking about being realistic for a positive season, this game and every game going forward is a must win, but it starts with Wyoming. Yep. Bows and pokes this Saturday, 6 p.m. at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. The game will be televised on Spectrum Sports pay-per-view. I'll see you at pre-game halftime and post-game that starts up at 5:15. Rainbow Warriors will be look to bounce back. They were able to do it the last time they suffered 
a heartbreaking loss on the road to San Diego State. They responded with a win over Nevada. We'll see if the Bows can do it yet again and be able to get over this Colorado State loss with a win over Wyoming. Well, that does it here for Bows Football Final. Be sure to check us out every Monday morning at 8.08 a.m. at khon2.com or anywhere you download podcasts. For my brother, R.J. Hollis, Rich Miano will be back here next week. I'm Rob DeMello. We'll catch you next time on Bose Football Final. Have a great week, everybody. Aloha.